turn now in the scriptures to read from the book of Genesis and the 26th chapter. Genesis chapter 26. Twenty-sixth chapter of Genesis, we shall read from the first verse. Let us hear the word of the Lord. And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerah. And the Lord appeared unto him, and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee, and unto thy seed, I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerah, and the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, She is my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. And it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window, and saw, and, behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife. And how saidst thou, she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lion with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land, and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great, and went forward, and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks, and possession of herds, and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. 
And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerah did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night, and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he builded an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. And Abimelech went to him from Gerah, and Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the chief captain of his army. And Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. And we said, Let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee, that thou wilt do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee, and as we have done unto thee nothing but good, and have sent thee away in peace. Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. And he made them a feast, and they did eat and drink, and they rose up betimes in the morning, and swear one to another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came, and told him concerning the well which they had digged, and said unto him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. And Esau was forty years old when he took to wife Judith, the son of Beeri the Hittite, and Bashemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to that reading of his word this morning. Amen. The text this morning will be found in Genesis chapter 26 and the 32nd verse. The 26th chapter of Genesis and the 32nd verse. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged and said unto him, We have found Water, particularly those last few words, we have found water. The circumstances here display to us something of the brief history that we have of Isaac. We read in that chapter how that he was instructed of the Lord not to go down to Egypt, but remained where he was in Gerah, in obedience with the Lord, 
And yet he lied to Abimelech and to the people of the land that Rebekah was not his wife, which, of course, Abraham had also done for the same reasons. But then, as he grows and the Lord blesses him in temporal blessings in this world, he grows to such a point that he is more mighty than Abimelech and the Philistine nation that he was dwelling in. And they send him away. They say, go away from us. Thou art mightier than we. And he goes to the valley of Gerah and he dwells there. And then we read that he digs again the wells of Abraham his father. And they dig in the valley and there are three wells which we read of here which are dug on this occasion. And each of them is named after the circumstances which occur during the time that they are dug or as they are dug. And the first two, the first is called contention, Isaac, because there is a striving of the herdmen of Gerah with Isaac's herdmen. They claim the water to be theirs, and so he calls it Isaac, or contention. And then he digs another, they dig another well. But then further, there is more striving over this also. And so it is named Sitna, which is hatred. Removing from thence, they dig further the third well of these which are named, and they call the name of it Rehoboth, that is room, as he says. The Lord hath now made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And yet, after this we read, he goes up to Beersheba. And that was a place with some history, that was a place where Abraham had often dwelt. There was a place where Abraham had built, had dug a well. And he now goes up to Beersheba. And there the Lord appears to him and speaks to him comforting words. He brings him the promises once again, a reiteration in a briefer form of the promises he had given first of all to Abraham. And then we see there that he builds the altar and calls on the name of the Lord. And we read then in verse 25 that Isaac's servants digged a well there in Beersheba. But then we have, as it were, this occasion when Abimelech comes up and having sent him away for his greatness is perhaps now concerned that Isaac, having attained such strength and power and might, he might now turn against them. As it seems, Isaac has taken his sending away as being an act of unkindness in a way. And yet they come to make clear their intentions and they come to make a covenant with him that he would indeed not do them any hurt nor touch them at all. And after this they make a feast which was often significant of the making of an oath or a solemn vow or covenant that there would be a feast which would accompany it as it were to ratify it and to make certain the friendship and the company and the companion and the fellowship between them that they would have this feast and they rise up in the morning and swear one to another and now Isaac is the one who sends them away in peace. But then we have, I could say, a further encouragement for Isaac. Here after so many blessings and encouragements for him on his way in his encouraging dwelling here at Beersheba, now the servants come to him. They have been digging this well, we suppose, all this time. From verse 25, during this interview with Abimelech, they have been digging away at this well, seeking for water in this place, Beersheba. And now Isaac's servants come, 
and tell him concerning this well that they have digged. And they say to him, We have found water. Now there truly was an encouraging word for Isaac. Here in this place he had received so much spiritual blessing. He had known so much of the water of life. Now also here was a temporal blessing from the Lord's hand. In it now here was sustenance for all his great herds, all his creatures that he had under his control. Now there was water enough to supply them. There was water enough to stay in this place and to dwell there for a while. My friends, we see here not just merely a historical narrative, however. This is the word of God and it is profitable, every part of it, for our instruction. And in these Old Testament portions where we have narrative, when we have these accounts of these great men of old, we can see, when we look at them as it were with New Testament light, we can see great pictures and great imagery, which is brought out plainly enough in places in the New Testament, where we can see a sight further ahead to the Gospel age, We can see a sight further beyond just merely seeing water springing up in a well. But further we can see the wells of salvation. And Jesus Christ, that water of life which is found therein, springing up to eternity. Surely we can see something of this here. My friends, so oftentimes in our Christian lives, it is as though we are dwelling in a desert place. It can seem to us as though, yes, we are Christians. We are living in the Christian life, as we sometimes speak. And yet to us sometimes, how it can feel like a Christian death. It can feel to us sometimes as though there is no life about it whatsoever. We do all the right things. We read the scriptures every day. We try to get down upon our knees to pray. And yet how long can we scarce stay there before we must rise up again? And we can scarce abide to stay there any longer. Oftentimes it is our experience that we find ourselves cast down so low. We are so discouraged, so cast down in our minds. The things of God have little or no appeal to us. It seems to us as though we have lost our first love. We have left it all behind. What is this? Well, this is dwelling in the desert, as it was for Isaac, a place where there was no water. There was no sustenance for him, but he was living, as it were, surviving on nothing. What supplies they had made, what they had laid up, but they had no fresh supplies, no fresh water source that was providing for them. It was a dry and thirsty land. The psalmist speaks of this in that psalm that we sang from at the very beginning. In the Psalm 42, we read there of the psalmist, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And we find this again later in the Psalms. This same sentiment is repeated. It was a psalmist's experience. It is often our experience we dwell in this dry and thirsty land wherein is found no water. And my friends, in such a place, is it not such a comfort to us 
when, as it were, we feel the springs of water beginning to flow again in our hearts, when we can boldly declare to our friends and to one another and say, I have found water, yet this water of life, it has returned to my heart. The life has come back again. You perhaps may have had plants in the house, and you have seen them, and you water them perhaps every so often, but you see it one time, and you have not watered it for some time, you have left it untended, and you look at it, it is beginning to go brown. It is beginning to die, because it has not water. But perhaps you then give it some water, and you can almost see, almost immediately, and very quickly, the life is revived. That water is sucked up into the plant. The leaves gain their verdure again. They become green and full of color. My friend, so it is with the Christian. When that water of life begins to spring up in his heart again, when Christ becomes close again, when he grants to us his precious presence to be felt once again, then it is like it is with that plant. And the Christian becomes green and lively and living again. Why does Christ withdraw? Why are we left sometimes in these barren deserts? Well, sometimes it is because we have sinned. We have fallen away from the Lord. We have done that which is displeasing. And my friends, sometimes we may be inclined to think that this is the sole and only reason it ever happens. We may look over our lives and we may see so much that is not right. So much sin, so much iniquity. The rest of the world wouldn't consider it perhaps to be sin or iniquity. And yet we feel in our hearts that it is an offense against God. It may be some perfectly right and proper thing that we do. And yet it consumes more of our time than it should. And thereby it becomes a sin to us. And we may feel as though it could never be anything other than our sin. For we are conceived in iniquity, born in sin. And so we must continue in sin. Sin is in our very being and we cannot escape from it. Hence the apostle speaks of wanting to escape from this body of this, the body of this death. Who shall deliver me, he says at the end of Romans 7. He thanks Jesus Christ, his Lord. He alone is able. And yet, whilst we are still in this world, we have not a complete deliverance. We are assured it. We are certain of it if we trust in Christ Jesus, but we have it not yet in its fullest reality. We must yet struggle against sin. And so the Lord will withdraw from us from time to time in order to bring us back, in order that we might seek his face more earnestly, in order that we might be drawn closer. It may seem a bit of a paradox, and yet in drawing away, the love of the Christian perhaps is reignited. Because he sees what he has lost, what he is missing now that he once had, and he longs for it again. And the Lord so works in him that he is restored. And yet at times it may be the Lord will withdraw that wonderful sense of his presence from us for a while in order to test our faith. What will happen to us? What will become of us when he withdraws himself a little? When, as it were, we do not feel so much the heat of the sun? When the cold chill of winter strikes us and touches us and makes us cold to the bone, what will happen to him then? Will he still look to that source of all his comfort and his warmth and his hope? Or will he turn away 
My friends, it is so common, is it not in us? We will turn away to the things of this world. When we feel difficulty about spiritual things, we will turn to perhaps innocuous things of this world, things which are perfectly innocent, and yet in an attempt to distract ourselves from the things of God, we will turn to these other matters and seek to lose ourselves in them, that we may be spared, that we may be May, may ignore, as it were, and put away all these concerns, these troubles in the Christian life. Well, with this in mind, we come to the text, and we have these words comforting these servants who have been laboring, who have been seeking this water, laboring to obtain it, and now have the joyful realization of having found it and bring this news to their master. We have found water. We see three things principally here. I propose. First of all, seeking this water of life, seeking after a refreshing touch of grace. I speak primarily this morning to the believer in Jesus Christ. And yet, if you have never sought him, then you must seek his face. Secondly, to consider how that they labored for this water. We read that they digged that well, and we can just read over that without thinking. And yet there would have been much manual, physical labor involved in the digging of that well. And, for, and thirdly, the finding of that water and the joyful declaration of it, what it was for them. Well, we consider, first of all, seeking the water of life. I have mentioned very briefly already in passing how that when we are in such a barren spiritual state before God, we are so prone to turn to amusements and pleasures of this world to distract ourselves from it. We feel ourselves to be cold-hearted. What is our first response? So often, it is the wrong one. It is to turn away and to go back to those old hobbies and those old amusements that we used to enjoy before. Perhaps things that we naturally have an ability at, a skill for, an interest in, things which pique our minds and cause us much to think about. And we will perhaps immerse ourselves in these, and we will bury ourselves in these, and we will spend our days thinking about these. When we have, not a, when we have a spare moment, nothing else on the mind, what are we thinking about? That is a great test for us at the best of times. And yet surely, especially in this case, is it not often the case that we find ourselves lost in a world of the things of this world? Lost in a world of amusements, a world of pleasures, innocent things perhaps, but vain at the end of the day. Not things eternal, not things glorious, not things which are eminently pure, and things which are good and profitable for us to be thinking about. Not things of eternity, but things which are temporal. Such is our temptation, that we turn to these things to find refuge from the storm, the battle as it were, raging within us. And yet, my friends, this is the last thing we ought to do. That is the last place we will ever improve our condition, as far as we see it. The Lord, of course, overruling graciously in these things, or else we should never come back. And yet, that is the last place we should be. The last things we should be thinking about when we are cold. And yet, they are often the first things and the most appealing things to us to be thinking of. But we may also, when religion becomes a matter of formality and not of the heart, 
we may also be tempted to seek something of a bit more life about our religion, which on the surface sounds very right and proper, and in a way it is. That should be our desire when we are cold, when we are downcast, when we feel distant from the Lord, when we do not feel the touch of the water of life. We ought to seek it out. It is our duty, and a vital and necessary one it is, that the Christian, though he does not feel any way inclined to it, though he does not seem as though it is a sensible thing to do, yet he does it, and he seeks it out. And he applies himself to find it, to seek until he shall find the water of life. And so he does so. And yet we may do this even in the wrong way. Snares beset us on every side. We cannot escape them. It may be that religion has become formal. What was the response in times past? In recent days, we can see how that this has taken place and there has been a response to it. Religion became something of a formality in the last century. It was felt so much to be so. There were so many who were crying out for something of spiritual life. And it was a very real problem, as I understand. But this led to the birth of what we see now as the charismatic movement. There they saw life. They wanted to try to have some more life in their worship to be more lively Christian people. And yet what was the result? They departed from the word of God. They departed from the Holy Scriptures. And in so doing, they separated themselves further from the Almighty than they were before. And the, their sight of him became diminished and grew less and less. But my friends, we may be tempted this way also. It may be that when we come to worship in this place, you are very devout and you believe that all these things should be done properly, decently, and in order. And yet you may feel sometimes it is rather too formal. And when you are at home, you may want a little bit more to liven you up, to make you a little bit more lively. And you may be tempted to turn to some of the modern worship music and to listen to that. What do we find there? Well, you find so much of an attempt in this respect and a great temptation in that way. But such an abject heresy, Amen. such abject failure to portray the Scriptures, such abject failure to display God in all His glory, in all His righteousness, in all his power and majesty. And such a focus on making man to feel himself to be better. To helping man. To making man to feel good with himself. Everything's alright. Jesus will sort out all your problems for you. And it's so tempting sometimes. You hear these things. Perhaps. And you feel how tempting it is. And yet, my friends, these things do not plainly declare the Scriptures. They present to us a biased picture, which is biased in favor of the man rather than his maker, which seek to bring about that the man should be exalted. The man should have all his needs ministered to 
And they cause God to become a servant to them. My friends, let us not seek after comfort. Let us not seek after the water of life. Let us not seek after liveliness in religion by turning from the worship of the true God to worship self. Let us not reduce God down to an image, a, a, a God in our own image. Reduce him just merely down to a man. My friends, it is a sad thing, but this is often the case. You find in many of these modern worship songs, they mention the word Jesus, and Jesus is the only name of God which is ever used. Seldom do they use anything other than Jesus or God, if you look at them critically. My friends, what is this? Jesus. It is not a name I am ashamed of in any way. I will stand by it all the day. It is scriptural. It is plain from the word of God. And yet it must be in its context. It must be in place. Yes, he is Jesus. Yet he is also the Lord. Yet he is also Christ, the anointed one. Yes, he is the son of man. And Jesus is that word, that title for Jesus, which Christ, which reflects his humanity above all else. And yet he is also the son of God. We must never forget these things. We must never be tempted to stray into this bypath meadow to worship ourselves. Dangerous though it may be, tempting though it may be, yet we must stick to the old paths, the old ways. Stand in the ways and see, as the prophet Jeremiah says, wherein are the old ways and walk therein. That sad indictment upon the people of Israel following on from that text, but he would not. Let it not be said of us that we would not. But let us seek him the right way. What is the right way then? Well, to seek water in the desert for the servants of Isaac was to dig a well. My friends, for us it is to labor about devotions, to labor about personal devotions, to seek to draw near to God in the way appointed through his word, which is given to us to reveal God to man, And to show man what his duty is towards God. Through prayer, which is man's access before the throne of grace. Whence he may ply heaven with petitions for this water. An expected answer in his time. And also in meditation. As I was saying a few moments ago. In those moments when we have nothing else to think about. Spare moments to be meditating upon the word of God. If we have devotions in the morning and in the evening, it provides us with ample meditation material. There is ample material perhaps in our reading, as we are reading through, to consider. We might take a particular text, and then we might be able to consider it. Something stands out to us from the reading, and we can think about it during the day. Think about it in our idle moments. Meditate upon what the Lord is intending to say to us through the text and how he would speak to us through his word. Well, we see this seeking then must be in the right way, in the right place, at the right time, constantly. We see secondly then, passing on, the labor which must be involved in this duty. It will not be an easy work. The ground may be hard. It may be stony. 
It may be felled as we find sometimes when you are digging in the garden, perhaps with roots and all manner of obstructions which may be in the way if you were to dig a well. I know not what they may have found digging in the ground. But it would not have been easy work, backbreaking work, most probably, digging down, seeking after that water. Well, my friends, so it must be about our devotions. So, I am sad to say, it is betimes. When we are about our devotions, if we are honest with ourselves, we can probably each testify how that sometimes it is hard work. It is so hard sometimes we feel as though we should give up. And I fear that sometimes it is too much. And we do not even try to dig to find that water of life. What is the danger? What is the difficulty here? Our concern is that we should fall away. That we should go to do that which is indeed truly wrong in the sight of God, which is to neglect it altogether. That is, as it were, the most fatal thing that could happen, that we should truly turn away and fail to consider the Almighty fail to give time for the Almighty, fail to make any effort to seek the Lord, to seek his face. It is vital that we do it. First of all, that we go about this duty. What are the oppositions to these things? We could think of many. Undoubtedly, peculiar to your own individual case, you could think of many reasons not to go about personal devotions. In a manner of speaking, we might consider that it is contrary to reason, and Satan will bring up this temptation particularly. God has withdrawn himself from you. He's obviously not interested in you. He doesn't care about you really. He doesn't really have such a love for you, as your Bible tells you but rather he is just one who likes to give one hopes and then will cast you off. Never want to know you again. My friends, such are the blasphemous thoughts Satan will bring into our minds that we should cease from our devotions. It is all pointless. Nothing ever happens. Day after day you try, you come. You are so formal, you are so cold, you are so dry. Nothing happens. You're just lost. Or perhaps he will come with a further objection. You have sinned. And this is a common one. You have sinned so much now. Satan, this very one who comes to tempt to sin, will now tempt us to further sin by pleading with us that really we have now gone too far. We have sinned the unpardonable sin. We have done that which is simply unforgivable in the sight of God. He can never bring us back now. We have offended so many times, repeatedly committed offences in his sight, and sinned against his most holy person in so many ways. There is no hope now. It is all pointless, this matter of religion. It is all a waste of your time, he will say. And so reason may find enough objections, for Satan will equip it with enough. Why a man should never go about his devotions when he is so cold at heart. If the Lord wants you, he'll come back to you, perhaps, Satan will say. 
You don't have to do anything. Just sit back. Take a break. My friends, such are the objections Satan may bring to our minds. And they may prevail for a while powerfully over us. They may indeed cause us to doubt very much in our own minds whether we are truly saved, whether we are truly doing the right thing, whether there ever has been any spark of divine life within us, whether we've truly had anything of this water of life. But you see, my friends, the matter is this. We must persist. Whatever Satan says, whatever reason can bring against it, yet it must fall down. Seek ye the Lord early. Seek the Lord constantly. We find exhortations throughout the Scriptures. We find examples throughout the Scriptures. Do you suppose that Daniel, that man who sought the Lord three times a day, every day, when he went to pray, do you suppose he was never cold at heart? It cannot be so in this life. Surely there would have been times when he would have come, and he would have been cold at heart, yet he would still have come. Such was his custom, such was his practice, and so he would continue to do. And with as much earnestness as he possibly could, as much as he could muster up as it were within himself, as much as he could possibly apply himself to it, he would get about this work. He would get himself down, and he would stay down upon his knees, and he would labor in prayer. He would work there upon his knees, perhaps more than he did for the rest of the day in all the business of the king's work. There he would accomplish a far higher labor and perhaps a far harder labor than all the duties and business of the day. But further to objections of reason, there will be objections of the flesh. The flesh will cry out against us. Why such labor? Why such time passed? Upon one's knees on the ground, humbled before the Lord. What a waste of time. So much that the flesh could do to satisfy its lusts in that time. So many other amusements it could engage itself about and enjoy itself about. So much pleasure that could be had which is denied it by this service. My friends, we must battle against this also. We must battle against that natural desire of man to rebel against the things of God. That he should, that natural reluctance that the flesh has, at times graciously overcome when the Lord's presence is felt close, yet which is constantly there and will constantly beset us until we pass to glory, that we should indeed give up. But my friends... We must press on against all the arguments of reason, all the arguments of the flesh, all the weakness and all the frailty of the body. Yet we must press on in this great work. Water will not be found. We must continue there laboring, seeking after that water of life. What must our devotions principally be centered upon? Well, in, the, in the word of God, when we are reading it, we must seek to understand and to obtain the whole counsel of God. We should not pick and choose portions of Scripture to read. Nonetheless, at such times as these, when the heart is particularly cold, 
it may be very profitable to turn to certain precious portions of Scripture, to turn to those passages which have been a blessing to you personally before. This is a place, and this is a slight aside, Beersheba, Abraham has been blessed here before, and Isaac returns here and is further blessed. Well, may it not be so for us that we return to such a place, and we look back, And we may read of saints of old, how they have been blessed in the reading of certain portions of Scripture. And we may turn there also, seeking a blessing from thence. My friends, we must not neglect these precious portions. Though they may fall outside of our regular reading pattern, we must seek to read these also at these times. Seek the will of God and seek that we may have a touch, a drop of this heavenly dew, even from such times as these and such portions of the Scriptures. In prayer, we must be concentrated on seeking the Lord that we might feel his presence near. Repentance for sin must be primary, humbling ourselves before him, owning that we of ourselves cannot draw him near, and yet we would seek to draw near to him. And so we come in such an attitude of humility, of reverence, of godly fear, and we seek his face, and we plead with him that he would make himself known to us that he would come down and make his presence felt in our souls. In meditation, we must meditate on these portions of Scripture, precious promises of the Word of God, to strengthen our souls, to strengthen and to support those walls which might be faltering against the attacks of Satan, and yet to uphold the walls of salvation, to prop them up, as it were, with the precious promises of the Word of God and to lean upon them. Well, so we must labor. May God grant us much strength in laboring, much grace, and may he draw near to us. Well, we come thirdly to consider how that this water is found. How that this water is found, and these servants have great reason to come to Isaac, their master, and to declare to him, after all this labor, we have found water. Now consider how precious this water would have been. It has been so earnestly sought. It has been so hard. It has been so carefully labored for. And so much hard toil and back-breaking work has gone into obtaining this water. How much more precious shall it be to us then? My friends, so it is with us and Christ. If Christ were to bestow his gracious presence upon us continually, if we had it constantly in a felt manner and we felt him to be especially close constantly in this life, because of our fallen nature, we would soon grow to despise it. There is a saying, is there not? Familiarity breeds contempt. It is a miserable thing to consider that it may be so with Christ Jesus. And yet it may be said sometimes of us that we may become in such a state. And yet we see that the Lord withdrawing himself is a way to bring us out of this, to realize our need of him afresh, to cause us to be constantly dependent upon him as the water of life, that we do not stray far from him, But how much more precious is it when we have prayed for something? We have prayed for it time and time and time again. 
We have labored in prayer for this one thing that we desire of the Lord. And it comes to us. What a joy that is. Surely the joy is increased tenfold. Merely because we have had to labor so hard for it. Something which is given to us as a gift. We do nothing for it in a respect. We do not, I use this carefully, this illustration. We do not, are not so appreciative of it. Yet when we have sought it, we have labored for it. And so it is a reward. Yet we appreciate it the more. This, of course, applies nothing at all in salvation. It is sovereignly the work of God. But as we see it here, in seeking the Lord's presence, once we are saved, yet how near and how dear and precious it is to us when Christ draws near, after being so long sought after, he finally comes. There is such real joy, not fake kind of joy, not a human joy, but a lasting joy, a real deep joy in our hearts, does not express itself in us becoming ridiculous, does not express itself in us waving our hands in the air when we are singing, or anything else like this. But rather, it expresses in our person, for in our hearts we know, and we are joyful there. Even though we may be encountering the worst of situations in our lives, yet if Christ is present, all must be well. And we rest in this always. Though our faith may waver at times, we may be caused to question it. My Jesus doeth all things well. He has done it well. He is doing it well, and surely he shall continue always to do it well. And so it shall be well with us in this. Well, we come finally, as I close, just a few words of application. Is Christ the water of life, that precious flowing fountain? That water of refreshing graces? If he be so, seek it until you find it. If you do not know Christ this morning, then turn to him and seek him. And do not rest until you have found him. You see yourself to be in such a miserable condition. Lost and hopeless without Christ. Or come before him in that attitude. Seek his face. Seek after this water of life. Even though it may be hard going. And you shall find. But further you believe. And yet you are in a period of barrenness. Some great trial has come upon you. Yes, seek his face. And constantly go there. And stay there. Before the throne of grace. Pleading for mercy. Pleading for grace and for his presence. To be made known. Is Christ such? Desire these things with all your heart. Set your affections and your mind on these things. Things which are heavenly. Things which cannot be denied in due course. From the Father who is the source of all good things. These spiritual blessings. He will not leave his children in darkness forever. But as the prophet Micah says, when I am in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I'll seek that light. Seek for that water of life. Constantly, earnestly, always before the throne. My friends, may the Lord truly appear to each one of us. 
may it be said of us this morning that we may join with one another in fellowship and say we have found water. May there be some this morning who have found water where there never was any before. May the Lord grant that water may spring up to eternal life in some hearts this morning. And yet for us who are withered, those who are cold, may the Lord's saving warmth even touch our souls. And by Christ Jesus come and dwell therein and draw near to us for a precious season. Well, may the Lord bless these things to our souls this morning. For Christ's sake. Amen.